Good afternoon, Dr. Dagwera here. This is the 25th day of January, 2022. This is the third lecture I'm going to be delivering on anabolism. And remember, I'm also running some video lectures on the YouTube channel. And that's primarily a discussion of membrane biochemistry uh, and biophysics. So let's get into this reductive biosynthetic pathway, uh, which is, of course, uh, typically how anabolism works in cells. I'm going to introduce you to a new pathway. Of course, it's not new to those of you who uh, study biochemistry or who, who have studied it in the past, and certainly not new if you've listened to previous lectures I've given. But we're going to reintroduce it today because it's a good idea to keep your mind fresh on these things. And this is known as the pentose phosphate pathway. It starts off with glucose 6-phosphate, much like glycolysis, but the fate of the carbon and the reducing equivalent from that carbon is quite distinctive. Now, this particular pathway, pentose phosphate pathway, also known as the oxidative pentose phosphate pathway, or the OPP, also occurs in the cytoplasm. And it's basically, oh, given the moniker of an alternative oxidation of glucose. And that's indeed what's happening. In fact, it's also decarboxylating. But the other important uh, branding of this pathway is that you generate reducing equivalents in the form of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide phosphate reduced form that's called NADPH. And you know, when we just briefly discussed the malic enzyme a couple of lectures ago, that that NADPH can be used for reductive biosynthesis, such as fatty acid synthesis. Here is, though, a very powerful um, high molar induction of NADPH production in the cell, okay? It's because any draining off of glucose that would otherwise be going through glycolysis can serve this pathway and therefore generate a lot more NADPH. So you start off with glucose 6-phosphate, and the first enzyme in the pathway is called glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. It produces 6-phosphonoglucanolactone, and NADPH. Now, the <coughs> lactone is immediately open with a 6-phosphoglucolactonase, just passing water over the bond, and you open up that ring structure and you make 6-phosphogluconate. 6-phosphogluconate then is ready to go through the second dehydrogenase, which, of course, is named 6-phosphogluconate dehydrogenase. Another mole of NADPH is made, but this is a decarboxylating dehydrogenase. And it actually drives the first reaction, the second reaction, and the third reaction, that release of carbon dioxide. So now you're at the level of five carbons, hence the name of the pathway, pentose phosphate pathway, pentose being five, of course. So you've generated now the first five carbon sugar phosphate called ribulose 5-phosphate. 
And then that the fate of ribulose 5-phosphate is what gets us into the production of many of the intermediates that can be used for other pathways, including feeding back into glycolysis. And one of the enzymes that feeds directly off ribulose 5-phosphate is simply an isomerase, and the isomerase will give us the all-important ribose 5-phosphate, which is, of course, used for the synthesis of ribonucleotides, which are not only necessary for making ATP and GTP and CTP and UTP, but also, very significantly, they will then, once polymerized, be the substrate for ribonucleotide reductase, which will make the deoxyribonucleotides. So now you've made ribonucleotides for bioenergetics and for signaling. ATP, GTP uh, are the two equivalents for that. You also make the CTP, which remember was involved in phospholipid biosynthesis. Um, And all importantly, you also make UTP, which when it loses a phosphate, can service the dolichol phosphate pathway, ultimately, again, in the endoplasmic reticulum, to be the uh, pathway for glycosylation of polypeptides synthesized on ER-localized ribosomes. So think cytokines, chemokines, uh, receptor molecules, anything that gets translocated and secreted out of a cell, for example. So you see how this is all very important. So ribose 5-phosphate, right? Okay. So let's go into more detail now. So remember that in order to make glucose 6-phosphate, you had to use ATP. So the whole energetic starts with the phosphorylation of glucose, glucose coming into the cell, for example, or being lost um, via the breakdown of glycogen. When I say lost, I mean that it's ready to be utilized, right? All right, so... Again, ribulose 5-phosphate is synthesized after decarboxylating dehydrogenase. Now, I told you it made ribose 5-phosphate, but it can also form xylose 5-phosphate. So there are two different fates for the ribulose 5-phosphate. Let's go into some detail here. <clears throat> so... Ribose 5-phosphate can be isomerized to ribose 5-phosphate. It can also be epimerized to xylose 5-phosphate. So those are two different configurations around a specific carbon atom in this pentose sugar. Okay? These are all... uh, The uh, the, um, ribose 5-phosphate is, of course, an aldose. Okay? And the xylose 5-phosphate is actually a ketose. Now, both the ribose 5-phosphate and the xylose 5-phosphate are substrates for the transketolase reaction. The transketolase will take ribose 5-phosphate and xylose 5-phosphate, which are two 5-carbon sugar phosphates, and synthesize a 3 and a 7-carbon sugar phosphate. So the transketolase will generate <clears throat> glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate, which, of course, you remember from glycolysis, plus the cetoheptulose 7-phosphate. Okay? 
And once you make, again, you're going to make an aldose and a ketose. Now, those two products, because you have that three phosphate, it's either heptose seven phosphate, are also substrates now for the sec- subsequent reaction called transaldolase. And they will generate fructose 5-phosphate and erythrose-4-phosphate. So you have 3 and a 7. You went from 5 plus 5 to 3 plus 7. Now 6 plus 4, right? So the carb- no, no carbon is being lost so far after that original decarboxylation from the secondary androgenase in the beginning of the pathway. So the transaldolase makes fructose 6-phosphate and erythrose-4-phosphate. Now... You can also take these sugars and react them in a second transaldolase, excuse me, to make glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate and fructose 6-phosphate, okay? So there's multiple interconversions you can do. And that's a really important component of this pathway. So there, the fructose 6-phosphate, 6-carbon, keto sugar, and the glycerealdehyde 3-phosphate, 3-carbon aldo-sugar. It's always, the level of oxidation is always either a keto or an aldose, or that is an aldehyde, excuse me. Um, Notice that 6 plus 3 is 9, so how did you synthesize that? You synthesize that from xylose 5-phosphate, which came, remember, from that epimerase reaction, uh, reacting with erythrose 4-phosphate. So that's a C5 and a C4, and 4 plus 5 is 9, so you can make 6 plus 3. That's fructose 6-phosphate and glycerol 3-phosphate. So these are multiple levels of interconversions of various chain lengths of carbohydrate particularly sugar phosphates. <clears throat> now, we made two molecules of NADPH there. How are we going to use them? Let's think about this. Now let's get into fatty acid synthesis. This is true anabolism. <clears throat> you start off with acetyl-CoA and you transacylate the acetyl-CoA with the acyl carrier protein bound on the homodimer fatty acid synthase. Okay. So acetyl-CoA plus reduced acyl carrier protein through the reaction acetyl-CoA ACP transacylase, okay, will make acetyl acyl carrier protein. Remember, it's a thioester, uh, and it's the same phosphopantothiene group, only now it's bound with serine residue on the acyl carrier protein, and it's not bound to an adenosine as in CoA. So <clears throat> you have acetyl acid, uh, acetyl ACP, man. What about malonyl CoA? Remember all the business of making malonyl CoA from acetyl CoA via the carboxylase. Remember the biotin containing enzyme and the carboxybiotin and all that regulation we talked about just last time. Well, that reaction is carried out by a malonyl CoA ACP transacylase. Okay. So malonyl CoA will be transferred directly to another mole of 
ACP because this is a homodimer protein. And the entire protein has all of the enzymes as well as the carrier protein that will facilitate complete fatty acid synthesis. This is how the mammalian fatty acid synthesis structure is composed. So now you've made acetyl ACP and malonyl ACP. Okay. Now, those two will react via an enzyme known as beta-ketoacyl ACP synthase. Notice it's a synthase, not a synthetase, because no ATP is hydrolyzed. This is all running off of the backbone bioenergetics of thioester transmigration of carbonyl. So now you've made, you've made a condensation, right? That's what that synthase was. You've released carbon dioxide, which does drive the reaction. And you release one of the acyl carrier proteins for re-reacting with either the acetate or the malinate, right? <clears throat> or with the growing acyl chain, because guess what happens next? So the product of that synthase is acetoacetyl ACP. It's carbon-4 compound. It's got a keto function, so it's highly oxidized. So the first thing you're going to do with that highly oxidized 4-carbon intermediate, acetoacetyl ACP, is you're going to reduce it. What do you reduce it with? The NADPH we just synthesized from those two dehydrogenases in the pentose phosphate pathway or from the malic enzyme. Okay. The NADPH, the source, I mean. So NADPH goes to NADP. Acetoacetyl ACP goes to D beta hydroxybutyryl ACP. So now you may turn the keto function to an alcohol function, an OH. Okay. okay, very good. So now you've got the next reaction. It's going to be a dehydration. That dehydration is catalyzed by beta hydroxyacyl ACP dehydrase. Okay, also known as DH, okay? So what's the product of that reaction? All you do is remove water. Remember, you left you were left with an OH group and an H group around that carbon atom, plus there's two H groups on the methylene, right? Which is then bound to the carbonyl and then the thioesterase SACP. So if you can picture that, and I'm sure you can, now you're left with, when you do the dehydration, you're left with a transient trans double bond. So now you've got alpha, beta, trans, butenoyl, ACP. So butenoyl at ene means it has double bond, okay? And the double bond is between the second and the third carbon of this four-carbon compound. So it's an alpha-beta and it's a trans configuration. So the geometry of the hydrogen atoms, one's above and one's below the plane of the acyl chain. That's why it's called the trans, okay? Cis would be at both of the hydrogen Atoms were on the same plane, either both above or both below the acyl chain. So you've got this alpha beta transbutenoyl ACP, and you get the second reduction. This is carried out by, yes, enoyl ACP reductase, also known as ER. And again, it utilizes NADPH to do the reduction, and NADP is the product. And now you've made butyryl ACP, okay? So that's a carbonyl thioester bound to the ACP. Then you have two methylene groups, and then you have a methyl group at the end. 
So it's basically, uh, you're growing an acyl chain that's highly saturated, except for that initial carbonyl, right? You know, carbon double bonded oxygen. That's what I mean by carbonyl. So now that same series of reactions will reoccur, adding two carbon units from the malonyl CoA, or excuse me, from the malonyl ACP, getting the decarboxylation from the beta ketoacase B synthase. So driving in two carbons from the three carbon substrate, driving the reaction with the loss of carbon dioxide, right? And one of the ACPs, but now you're using as a substrate, not acetyl ACP, but butyrol ACP. So you had a C4 saturated growing hydrocarbon chain attached to ACP. And you just reacted it with malonyl ACP. You decarboxylated the malonyl group. And now you're left with a C6 moiety. And it's got the same oxidation state as the last one did at the beginning, right? You're going to have a carbonyl. You're going to have to reduce down. And you're going to do exactly the same thing. You're going to have a reductase and a DPH requiring. <laughs> you're going to have a dehydrase, removing the water to make the double bond. You're going to reduce the double bond back to the saturated alkane. And this will continue on adding two carbons at a time from the butyrol several reactions later to make palmitoyl ACP. That's C16, right, palmitic acid, thioester bound to the acyl carrier protein on the backbone of the fatty acid synthesis. Finally, the reaction, still part of the polypeptide backbone of the dimer, fatty acid synthase, the homodimer, fatty acid synthase, uh, doing these reactions in the cytosol of, let's say, hepatocyte or a adipocyte or a cell in the mammary gland, okay? That now this palmitoyl ACP will be removed from the fatty acid synthase complex via another activity bound to the FAS, part of the FAS, and it's called palmitoyl thioesterase, or TE. And what you're going to make is free palmitic acid, that's C16 colon O, 16 carbon saturated fatty acid with no double bonds. That's what the colon, you know, colon separates the number of carbons from the number of double bonds. 16 colon O, that's palmitic acid. And you make of course, free ACP. So now the, pro, the the polyprotein FAS can carry out the same reaction. So you see how it's double timing its events because it's able to synthesize these two palmitoyl fatty acids uh, twice be, uh, during each complete cycle of the FAS, which is seven cycles after the butyryl level because you have a dimer. So it's a very efficient polyprotein multifunctional enzyme complex existing as a homodimer in the cytoplasm of the mammalian cell. So now that you have palmitate, you never have a free fatty acid because they're actually dangerous. They can uh, be involved in lipotoxicity, which basically, uh, there are many things lipotoxicity means, but the most simplest that you can understand is that a free fatty acid would cause disruption of the membranes disruption of the membranes, making them leaky, making them useless, right? 
So that palmitate will immediately get reesterified to CoA. So now you're still back to thioester uh, chemistry, but you're back to coenzyme A rather than ACP. You finish with ACP because you finish with the synthesis. You understand? So that is basically de novo fatty acid synthesis, what I just described to you. That's the entire process. And I think if you if you go through this and if you look, uh, just go online and look up fatty acid synthesis, make sure you look at, if you're looking at a pathway, make sure you're looking at the structures. Don't just look at the names of these compounds, look at the structures. I've always taught in biochemistry, you must look at the structures. Now, here I am kind of uh, you know, remarkably not doing that for you right here, but this is an audio lecture. And I have shown you fatty acid synthesis multiple times on video. So it's not any problem for you to find that um, as a static image of fatty acid synthesis if you just run images on a Google search. Not that I'm recommending Google. DuckDuckGo is fine as well. Okay. All right, so let's proceed, shall we? <clears throat> now, many of these reactions that I just went through the acetyl ACP transacylase, the malonyl transacylase, the beta-ketoacyl ACP synthase, many of these reactions have been uh, targets of specific detergents and or pharmaceuticals to function to um, corrupt fatty acid synthesis to separate out the individual reactions and understand their stereochemistry. And so you can understand because you have different substrates, different levels of oxidation, that you're able to do that by using fine chemicals. I'm not going to go into that today, but sometime I will, because it's important um, as uh, pharmacotherapeutics in some cancers and even in some heart disease to uh, interrogate and intoxicate sometimes fatty acid synthesis. Uh, not because fatty acids are bad, but because rampant fatty acid synthesis, particularly in something like cardiohypertrophy or in oncogenic cancer and metastatic cancer, means you're laying down a lot of new membranes, a lot of new tissue, and that's not good for those organs, right? And so the idea is if you can block fatty acid synthesis specific uh, branch points in the fatty acid synthase pathway, you might be able to slow down, for example, cell division associated with oncogenesis or with hypertrophic responses in any organ, including the cardiac muscle. Anyways, that's, that's uh, serious detail about a, a pharmacological lecture, which I will give you soon enough, but I'm not going to do it right now. I'm not going to go any further than that. Just enough to explain it to you. All right. So <clears throat> let's see what else I can say. I don't think I need to go any, through any more detail with these individual reactions. I think I'm going to just leave fatty acid synthesis. Now, there is your first anabolic pathway. Okay. Started with a discussion simply of acetylchloric carboxylase activity. We scrutinized that at some length. Then we talked about where the reducing equivalents come from. So the carbon for acetylchloric carboxylase, remember that came from uh, reactions, for example, from glycolysis, right? 
And remember how we talked about cyclical box lace blocking at when malonyl CoA is at very low concentrations, that it will bind to the cyclical box lace beta form, and which is bound to the outer mitochondrial membrane, and that that would block carnitine palmitoyl transferase one and two, therefore blocking essentially beta oxidation of fatty acids because that would be a futile cycle. So why at millimolar concentrations of melanocoa and not at larger concentrations, right? Uh, like So sub-millimolar, once you get up to multiple millimolar, it no longer does the same thing. It's because if you have sub-millimolar or micromolar levels of malonyl-CoA in the cytoplasm that can bind to acetylcocoboxylase beta bound to the outer membrane of the mitochondrion, what will it do? It'll shut off beta oxidation. It'll stop the carnitine palmitoyl transferase from proceeding along, taking the coaster, turning it into a carnitine ester, and moving it through the membranes, allowing it to be beta oxidized in the mitochondrial matrix or mitosol. But when concentrate, and that's when malcoa is low. Now, when would malcoa be low? Will you be synthesizing it from the acetylcocoboxylase, the other one, the alpha form, right? Maybe also the third form, which I told you also interacts with nucleic acid. But at micromolar levels of malonyl-CoA or sub-millimolar levels, it would mean that the reaction is proceeding very rapidly. You're using malonyl-CoA to make fatty acid. That means you have an active FAS in cytoplasm signaling a shutting down of beta oxidation. But when you get higher levels of MAL-CoA, that will, of course, inhibit the acetylcholine carboxylase alpha and beta because all of that ceases. But at the higher concentration, the acetylcholine carboxylase no longer binds the beta form, no longer binds the malonyl-CoA because carnitine palmitoyl transferase starts to pick up because if there's a buildup of MAL-CoA in the cytoplasm, it means that the synthesis of fatty acids is slowing down because you're not utilizing the three-carbon substrate. See how that works? So it's a titration of the concentration of MAL-CoA playing off those two different isoforms, acetylcocoboxylase. And see how fascinating and essentially I say it's beautiful the way that biochemical regulation occurs. It's, it's much more complex than somebody just sitting down and thinking about how you would build these compounds if you were, say, an organic chemist, a synthetic chemist, right? Now that we know this, they can use these principles and do a lot of other reactions that they probably weren't thinking about 100 years ago when organic chemistry was really getting moving along rapidly, uh, particularly in Europe, like in the German labs, but also in the Italian labs and, yeah, surely in the American ones. All right, so let me see how we're doing on time here. All right, we're at 27 minutes, so I'm just going to quickly start this off. I'm going to tell you the next anabolic pathway is going to be the production of a ring structure. It's got four rings, and that put together, it's called the cyclopentenophenanthrene ring, Okay. And that is essentially the backbone or the skeleton of cholesterol, right? 
cyclopentanophenanthrene ring. And we're going to start that synthesis with acetyl-CoA. Only here we're going to make a, a different compound. We're going to make hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA. And we're going to reduce that to a next intermediate in the pathway called mevalonic acid. In fact, this is called the mevalonic acid pathway because that was the first intermediate that was isolated uh, as such as it is when you name pathways. That's normally how you name them. So that whole process is also going to use a great deal of NADPH. Hence, it's going to be an anabolic pathway, pumping electrons into preformed oxidized substrates and making them more reduced is the roadmap to not only fatty acid synthesis, which we've already covered, but also cholesterologenesis. You need fatty acid and cholesterol. That is acylipid and prenolipid. That's the former and the latter to make membranes in eukaryotic cells, particularly to build up the very significant plasma membrane, which is about 50% prenolipid, 50% acylipid. So with that really interesting uh, concept hanging there in the above you, right, where you could be thinking about it almost as an idea, but it's a concept because I've left it abstract, right? Uh, we will close for, for this lecture. And this time I'm actually not going to get cut off. <laughs> so this is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the 25th of January, 2022, saying bye for now.